Well, good afternoon, Soul City Church. How you guys doing this afternoon? After Sean's totally depressing question, it's so good to actually uh, be here with you. Thank you for carving out time for your life with, your relationship with God, wherever you may be at in your spiritual journey. It's incredibly important that you just note that you made this a priority today, and I'm so uh, glad that you did. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City, and we are in a teaching series, a collection of talks over the next couple of weeks called The Long Game, and we kicked it off last weekend, and if you missed it, I want to encourage you to actually go back to our weekly podcast that we do and our YouTube channels to catch up, because last week was kind of the framework for this whole teaching series over the next couple of weeks. What we looked at is how few of us actually look at life as a long game. We tend to only think in the here and the now and all about us, but what we looked at last week was how our faithfulness to God today actually leads to fruitfulness tomorrow. That tomorrow's fruitfulness is found in today's faithfulness. And I, we have this resource that we want to share with you that ties in perfectly with what we talked about last week. And it's specifically for those of you who are parents or caretakers uh, here at Soul City. Uh, and it's a book called Don't Miss It. And I don't want you to actually miss this. This is a great book written by a friend of ours, Reggie Joyner and Kristen Ivey. This book is um, all about reframing parenting by looking at the time you have. You know, again, we talked about this last week. None of us can know or control the future. But with the time that we have, how can we help lead our children? How can we help transform, be a part of their transformational process to do what we say around here, to raise up the next generation of Jesus followers? Parents, this is an invaluable resource. And this is what's so fun about this book. We want to give it to you today for free. We, we just believe in it so much. And more than that, we believe in you. Let's hear it for free resources up in this place. Come on. We believe in you as parents. We want to partner with you. So if you are a parent or caregiver, you can go straight to the store right afterwards and pick up your copy. Uh, we just ask that you take one. Like you don't need like five for your family, right? So just grab one. That's enough. Jeannie and I have gone through it. It has been so helpful for us. And it's a part of how we are discipling our kids. So don't miss this. And speaking of incredible resources, I don't know if you noticed this last week, uh, Patrick and our worship team actually dropped our latest single, The Fire, which is so powerful. We love this song. I've been singing it for a while now. And so uh, I want to encourage you not to miss that. You can grab it on wherever you get your music or cassette tapes. You can actually uh, get that. And it's a way to help grow a heart of worship beyond um, just this time that we have together. So that's out there as well. Now, I want to know how many folks here have ever run a half marathon or a full marathon? Raise your hand if you've ever run a half marathon or a full marathon. You should be raising your hand a lot higher. That is amazing. Awesome. Okay, a little bit, kind of weed it out a little bit here. How many are running a half marathon or a marathon this year? Like you are training for it right now. Woo-wee! We got Icy Hot and Advil for you in the back because it's getting real in training right now. A lot of folks in our church run with Team World Vision. A lot of folks run the marathon in our church. In fact, it runs right in front of our church, which is so fun. Um, but they are, it's getting real. Last weekend was the 18-miler, and for those of you who ran it, you know that is no. I don't like to drive 18 miles, but they ran 18 miles, and they got their 20-miler coming up, and it's no joke at this point in the train. And I remember uh, years ago, when I ran the Chicago, uh, you know, I always say that wrong. When I finished the Chicago Marathon, uh, I just want to have integrity in my words. Uh, when I finished the Chicago Marathon, um, I, it, the training for me was unlike anything I'd ever been a part of before. I'd never done anything like that. If you know the story, we've told it a ton of times here. Jeannie actually signed me up for the marathon and didn't tell me. 
because that's how she rolls. And so I had this whole training plan that was given to me. And part of the training plan was that you do all these miles throughout the week. Those of you run, you know this. And then on the weekend is when you do your big runs. And with Team World Vision, they do their big runs together at North Avenue Beach. Lots of times we'd start there and then we're up and down uh, the lake. And for me, it was so much easier doing the runs on my own. We lived in Humble Park at the time, and so I'd just go out my front door and just run around the park as many times as I could. And lots, lots of times it'd be like a four-miler or a six-miler, and I'd be like, you know what, three is close enough. And I would like kind of head back in, or you know, it's like it was getting too dark out or too hot out. It's like, you know, the long runs were a hassle. The group ones were a hassle because they're at North Avenue Beach. And I'm like, now I got to, you know, we only have one car, so I'm going to get in a cab and Uber at that time. It was just cabs, so I drive down to North Avenue Beach, and then I'd have to get there. And it's early in the morning. It's like 7 a.m. is when the run would start. So I'm getting up early on a Saturday morning to run. Who I don't like to get up at all, let alone to get up to run. And then we do these long runs. And I'll tell you this, though. As easy as it was for me to just kind of do the runs by myself, way more convenient, it was far better for me to do the long runs in a group because I don't think I would have finished them without the group. Those of you who've done training know this. In fact, one time we were, I think it was the 12 miler, we were running and I was a couple miles in and I was gone. Like I was loopy. I think I was just running in circles or just into a wall. I don't know what I was doing. And Michael Chitwood, who many folks here know, found me and it's like, dude, your blood sugar levels seem way off. Like you need help now. And we need to go to a convenience store real quick, 7-Eleven and get some sugar in you. And so he pulled me off the course, but still made me run. I don't appreciate that. I still (laughs) need to clear that with him. He made me run to the convenience store and I ate two Kit Kats and a Snickers in five seconds. I mean, I just threw, I don't even think I took the wrappers off. I just threw that stuff in me. And then he made me run back again and finish the run. I thought I would be like, that was, I would be out for the day. I had an excuse, but he made me keep running. And I found that I actually ran better and ran further when I ran in a group than when I did it all by myself. And if you've trained for anything serious like that, you know, that's actually true too, don't you? Because it's, it's like the old African proverb, right? If you want to go fast, go alone. Like if you want to go fast, just kind of do it on your own, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, that's fine. Just do it by yourself. That's fast. But if you want to go the long game, if you want to go far in life, and specifically what we're talking about, with God, you got to do it together. You absolutely cannot do it on your own. And what's interesting is that we live in a world where it's far easier to do it on your own, isn't it? Our whole world is set up for you to just be self-independent you, right? You set up your own profile on social. You can build your own website all by yourself, an awesome website by yourself. Like 15 years ago, it took an army of nerds to do that for you. And now you can do an awesome one all by yourself. You can become a solopreneur, start your own business, and never have to deal with any other people. And that might sound delightful based on where you work. But the truth is, the truth is, all of that that we've learned how to do all on our own without anyone else If we actually want to go the distance, it's going to take relationships, spiritual relationships, people that you are committed to for the long game and who are actually committed to you. This isn't only like, uh, this isn't optional for life with God. In fact, what I would say is that it's critical. It's critical, not only to your life with God, but to your physical life and well-being, in studying and preparing for this message today, came across a bunch of different studies and surveys that were done and around specifically loneliness is what happens when we go at life alone. And this is what they found. Do you know that 
for people who are lonely, for long seasons of loneliness, it has the same effect on your physical body as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 15 cigarettes a day from just being lonely. And you know the thing about relationships. They're not easy. Like, there's not like a patch for friends, right? Like, it takes some work. But it's critical. It's vital. In fact, people who actually spend most of their life alone are more prone to suffer from dementia, heart disease, and depression. The body knows that you weren't meant to live life alone. In fact, this stopped me in my tracks. Loneliness, prolonged loneliness, increases your risk of death by 29%. By 29%. In other words, either get into a small group or die. I mean, I, I, mean, I'm not, I didn't want to say it, Joel, but the numbers point... After, <laughs> I don't know, Sean, if that helps or not, but look... Science, okay? <laughs> a friend sent me, Reamer, who's a part of our church, sent me after the first service a study or a, a, an article that he read that in the UK, this is such an epidemic of loneliness that they've actually appointed a minister of loneliness two years ago that cares for this. That's how real and dangerous it is to think that you can do life all on your own. It just doesn't work that way. And specifically, life with God doesn't work that way. No work of God ever happens in isolation. In fact, don't miss this, that the work of God, either in your life or through your life, the reason that you're here today, the work of God never works alone. It just doesn't. God doesn't do anything outside of relationship. Nothing is created or sustained that is independent of other things or other people. Think about it for a second. And even just think about the creations, the whole story of the Bible, you see it woven all throughout. In the very beginning... God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit said, let us make people in our image. From relationship, we're created for a relationship. And then you just see it patterned out. Adam and Eve, Moses and Aaron, David and Jonathan, Jesus himself, Son of God. Put people around him, disciples, friends, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. These are people that he knew he couldn't go the long game without. Paul had Barnabas. You see it over and over and over again. We're created from relationship for relationship with others. This isn't just God's desire. It's not like something God strongly recommends that you do. This is his plan. This is God's plan for your life, that you would be in godly, life-giving relationships. And like all plans of God, it actually comes with a promise. And a beautiful picture that I want us to actually look at today, and it's found in Psalm 133. I'm not sure if you've ever even read this psalm before. It's one of the shortest uh, books of the Bible, chapters of the Bible. So grab a Bible and open to page 503 in the Soul City Bible. If you have a Bible with you, just use that one. But if you don't, there should be one right under your seat or on your armrest, those of you up in the balcony. Uh, and you can turn to page 503. That will get you to Psalm 133. We're going to read a whole chapter of the Bible today. It's only three verses, but you can walk out of here saying, oh, we read a whole chapter in the, our church today. So if you want to like church brag, feel free to do that. Let me give you some quick context, though. Uh, unlike last week when we looked at Psalm chapter 1, we don't know who wrote Psalm chapter 1. We do know who wrote Psalm 133. King David wrote Psalm 133. He wrote a majority of the Psalms, and lots of them are these heartfelt, passionate prayers to God, and some of them were actually made into songs that became a part of corporate worship, and this is one of those Psalms. Psalm 133 was actually became a worship song that the people of God would sing, but get this. This is what's so special about this Psalm. It's called the Psalm of Ascent. 
meaning that when people were heading up into the city of Jerusalem, you have to kind of go up to get to the city of Jerusalem, and then up to where the temple was, they would sing this song. They would sing this particular psalm that we're going to look at today on their way to worshiping God. In other words, this psalm was like a pregame hype worship song that people would get ready for. Imagine if you got out of your car today or off the bus or off the train today, and you were just singing your whole way to Soul City. That would be what this was like. They would just sing and sing and sing to prepare their hearts for God. And this is what they sang because this is so important. Psalm 133 verse 1 says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in what? Unity. Unity. How good. Oh, look at my language. I like, how just, it's just, it's just right. How good and pleasant, delightful, life-giving it is when God's people actually live together in unity. Now, this is where the psalm starts, but if we had to rewrite it for today's current cultural moment, we might have to rework it a little bit. Because for this moment in time, we would probably have to say how rare and unlikely it is when the people of God actually get together in unity. It seems as though the only thing we're good at is how to find differences and divides between us. And I'm not talking about like the world out there. I'm talking about just people of faith. That we forget that we actually have common ground in the cornerstone of Jesus. And if you don't believe me, how toxic we can be with each other, how hard and rare it is for us to actually do this, just go to the comment section. Just read it on Instagram, read it on YouTube, read it on Facebook. How people, people of faith actually can tear apart people they've never met before. You're this, you're that, you don't get it. It is rare and unlikely, but it's so good and so pleasant when we actually get this one right. And notice what David says there, when we get this one right, not that we get this one right. When means it's conditional. We don't always. When means that our norm, our default is towards division, isolation, separation. But he says, when we get this one right, look out. In fact, he, he paints two beautiful pictures. We're, we're, we're going to not only get through a whole chapter of the Bible today, you're going to walk out of here an Old Testament scholar because we're about to read some language that is wonky. And uh, we're going to break it down for a little bit because the picture that David was giving us is so beautiful and so powerful for these kind of relationships. So look at how he describes these kind of spiritual friendships. This is what he says, Psalm 133, verse 2. He says, when we get this one right, it's like the precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Yeah, okay, David. It's just like that thing I've never heard of before. This is some deep cuts that David is pulling out for this reference. And what is he talking about here? Well, it may seem foreign to us, but it's very familiar to the people of God, specifically in his time, the audience that would read these words and worship on their way to worship with this psalm. What is he talking about? David is referencing Leviticus chapter 8. And he's referencing this important moment in the story of the people of God where Moses anointed the head of Aaron as the priest over Israel. And it was all symbolic. There's nothing magic or special about the oil, just some oil and some spices. But what it represented was 
the anointing, the covering, the presence, that there's something special and sacred about this leader, that he was being tasked to be a spiritual leader to God's people. They knew exactly what he was talking about here. He's referencing Moses anointing Aaron as priest. And in fact, David uses the language that we see actually in other passages throughout the Old Testament, that the oil wasn't just in some little like, you know, eyedropper on top of Aaron's head, like just enough to get it done. It was poured out abundantly so that the oil, the anointing oil would come cover his face and his beard and actually go down his robe. It's this beautiful picture that when God pours out his anointing, he pours it out in abundance. He does not hold back from you. He's not a stingy God. And that's what David's saying here. He's like, it's like that. It's like this priestly anointing that covers us, that actually begins to flow between us when we see each other, when we see these relationships as such, as spiritual relationships, that there's something sacred and set apart about them. In fact, Eugene Peterson expands on this whole thought in a brilliant book, a book that I based this whole teaching series on. He wrote a book 20 years ago called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Classic book. A long, isn't that a great title? A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he talks about Psalm 133. He talks specifically about this anointing and why it's so significant. Because what he said there is that not only would those people get the reference, but they would get that David is saying these relationships are actually set apart. And what we are meant to be for each other is more than just companions. It's more than just acquaintances. It's more than just friends. That we are actually meant to be priests to each other. To be ministers to each other of God's love, of God's grace that there's something anointed when we get this right and we see each other as such, we become ministers to each other. We become so much more than just friends when we get this one right, when we see each other as God actually intends for these relationships to be. And what's so beautiful about this language is, Peterson points out, is that that kind of ministering of love and of grace and of forgiveness and of hope not only exists between us, but like the oil running down Aaron's beard and onto his robe, it's meant to flow from us. That it's not just meant to be between us, but it actually flows from us. That when we get this right, other relationships are affected and changed and transformed that that's where it actually flows from. How dare we think that we have anything to offer the world that we are not willing to practice with each other here? That we're not willing to be that kind of, those ministers to each other. And you know that may be a word you use or don't use, a minister or a priest to each other, but think about it. You need a minister in your life because you cannot minister to yourself. You cannot meet and take care of their spiritual needs. You need someone to care for you in that way. We all do. I do, you do, we all do. And so that's what David's saying here. That's who we can actually become to each other. But he says there's no, he uses another image, and it's another uh, liquid-based image. And so let's go to verse 3, closing out this psalm. He says this, when we get this right, it's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. I know all of you go straight to the back of the Bible and look at the maps, but for those of you who don't, I want to actually break this down for you a second. Some of you didn't even know there were maps in the back. I wanted to break this down for you. As the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Again, what is he talking about here? Well, the Holy Land is actually um, an arid climate, meaning that for about six months out of the year, it gets no rain. So it's kind of a dry place, right? An arid place. 
But north of the city of Jerusalem, which is kind of the center for the people of God at that time, north and the northern part of Israel, there is a mountain called Mount Hermon. And because of its geographical location being in the north, and because of its elevation being as high as it was, there was always rain and snow even and dew on Mount Hermon. People in those days, and to this day as well, can climb up Mount Hermon, and you can be about halfway up Mount Hermon and see lush vegetation and life and plants and animals all around you, and then look back and see a dry and arid climate behind you. It was a special place that always had sort of this dew, this presence of moisture in the atmosphere that was life-giving, that was renewing, that would make everything on Mount Hermon new. And if you've ever done this before, how many of you have ever... um, if you ever slept in a tent for one night outside, like not a fort in your basement, raise your hand if you ever slept in a tent one night outside. Okay. You know, like when you wake up in the morning and the tent's like kind of all wet and it's got drops of water on it. You're like, how'd that happen? Right? Because it didn't rain and you don't know. It's that. It's, it's the moisture in the atmosphere over time settles in. And people were so uh, dependent on water in, in that culture, still are to this day, that that dew, that light dew that was ever present in the atmosphere of Mount Hermon would actually trickle its way down the mountain eventually reaching the River Jordan and be a part of a source of life for all in the land. All just from that little dew on the mountain. Now, why does David draw our attention to that and say it's like that? Because that is actually what you and I are meant to be for each other. A constant, reliable source of renewing and replenishing. Someone who breathes words of life, who breathes encouragement, who breathes hope into your relationships. And like the previous verse that he was referencing with the oil, same with the dew, as it happens and flows between us, it eventually works its way from us out into other relationships. That you and I are meant to be like priests and ministers to each other, like this ever-present refreshing source of renewal, of transformation for each other. And David closes out this short psalm by just saying, when we get that right, remember he said in the beginning, when we get it right, he closes out by saying, it gives us a taste of heaven. He even uses the language of life evermore. He's talking about eternal, deeper spiritual life. And he's like, yeah, when we get this right, that's what we're getting, a taste of heaven here on earth. I just wonder, do you have any people like that in your life? People who are like that, that, that priestly presence, that, 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 that ministering presence to you, that when you're with them, you just go, oh man, I just, whew, I just feel better, I feel more hopeful, I feel closer to God. Man, we only talked for 10 minutes, but man, I just, you, have, you have anyone like that in your life? Or that they just are there to encourage you and renew you? And you see that you still have like fun together. You've got to go to the movies and you go, you know, whatever, camping and hang out and do all kinds of stuff, you know, Bears game, all that kind of stuff. But there's a depth, there's a spiritual depth. Do you have anyone like that? in your life. I thank God for the people like that in my life. I thank God for them. That God has brought and Jeannie and I have nurtured and built over the long game relationships that are that to us and that we can be that to them. I thank God for our friends John and Kelly who were like that to us. Mark and Jeannie, Nancy and Warren, Jim and Debbie, Dick and Sybil, Jeff and Tracy, Dave and Jamie, Kyle and Juliet, Gibby, uh, Ashley, 
Chitwood, Lauren, my friend Mark Anthony, these are people that I believe God has in my life and in our life to connect us to this deeper way of being in relationship with each other. And just, I want to pause real quick. Before you think that I'm on some kind of low-key friend flex, I want to be really, really clear, like, oh, awesome list of all your friends. You must be so popular. Listen, the truth is I probably forgot some people on this list, and now I'm off their list. But the point is this. The point is, the reason I mention all of those names is because I need them. Desperately. I need them. Part of my life and my calling is to pour out. I'm so thankful that I get to do this with y'all. And part of it is I try to receive as much as I can from God, take what's mine, and then give the rest to y'all. And it can be, listen, I don't need you to feel sorry for me. Your job's tough. Mine can be too. It can be depleting at times. I need friends that can take me as I am, that can encourage me, remind me of who I am in God. I can have fun with, we can hang out. And there's a depth, a spiritual depth. The reason we've worked so hard to build those over the long game is because we desperately need them. And so do you. What makes you think that you are the exception to the rule? Well, I mean, what makes any of us think that we're the exception to the pattern we see throughout the Bible, to the picture that David gives us in Psalm 133, to the reality of what we know about how critical relationships are to our lives? Who are we to think that we're somehow the exception to the rule? And every time a small group sign-up comes around, you're like, I'm good. Like, you know, like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with your college friends or work friends. Those people are awesome. But I'm asking you, do you have any spiritual friends? Any people whose lives and your relationship is actually rooted in the reality of God. Because here's the deal. Don't miss this. There's no such thing as an only child in the family of God. No such thing as an only child in the family of God. When you say yes to God, you are also saying yes to his family. And that is good news and also sometimes a little frustrating news. Because let's be honest, like any family, there's weird aunts and crazy cousins, right? I mean, look, I'm just saying, just because it's anointed doesn't mean that they're not annoying sometimes, right? And you can be too. You've got to be honest about that. You can be too. But when you say yes to God, what you're saying yes to is so much bigger than you even know. You're saying yes to the family of God. And God is saying, this is actually how I want you. This is how I created you to live, is in these kind of relationships. Because the work of God never works alone. You need people. I need people. We need people. That's why we make such a big deal about small groups around here. And today is, as you may have already heard, you heard Sean talk about it a second ago. Today's small group sign up Sunday. And I love how much our church gets how important this is because y'all treat sign up Sunday like Black Friday. I mean, it is like that thing gets, that list gets devoured by this time. And if you want to be in a small group and haven't signed up, you better hurry up because these things fill up for small groups, for alpha. They fill up. Why? Because we just know, we know how important and how critical this is. I am a huge fan of small groups. Listen, they are imperfect groups filled with imperfect people that are a perfect place to start these kind of relationships we've been talking about today. Do not go into this thinking that it's going to solve all of life's problems. These are imperfect groups of imperfect people, but I think it's a perfect place to start. In fact, I'm like so believe in this idea that I've actually been leading a small group. My friend Mark and I have been leading a small group here at Soul City Church for eight years years. We are the longest standing small group leaders in Soul City history. And I think that deserves a plaque or something. 
or at least a dis don't clap. That feels pathetic, and I don't, don't, now it feels weird. You made it weird. And I just, like, the reason Mark and I do this is, and we've been doing this for eight years now, is because we just know how much we need it. And every time, every time we meet before our group, Mark and I meet together and share our lives with each other. And then out of that, we lead our group. I need it. I need these guys. I need that time. I need those relationships. And so do you. That's why we make such a big deal about it around here. And I just want to be really, 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 really clear. These kind of relationships are essential for the long game, but I don't want to paint a prettier picture than it actually is. I want you to get this. While they are essential, that does not mean that they're easy. That it's easy to build these kind of relationships. You have to be willing to take a risk. You have to be willing to kind of put yourself out there. You have to be willing to actually sign up this time. You have to be willing to take a conversation to a little bit deeper place. You have to be willing to say, hey, I'm hurting. I need you. I need someone in my life right now. You have to actually have the courage to be willing to do that. You still have to show up for it to work. In fact, I would contend that when it comes to these kind of relationships and the work that God wants to do in your life, you simply, you don't grow if you don't show. Like all that training that I did for the marathon, I could wake up on a Saturday morning going, yes, running is awesome. I believe in running. It's so good for my body. And stay in bed, that changes nothing. You don't grow if you don't actually show. And if you want to know the secret to long game relationships, the kind of God actually, his plan for your life actually is, if you want to know the secret to long game relationships, I'm going to tell it to you right now. You ready for it? This is a, this is a big secret you're about to hear. Here's what it is. Just show up. That's it. Show up. And then keep showing up. And then keep showing up. And then keep showing up when it's hard. And keep showing up when you don't want to. And keep showing up when it's snowing outside and you'd rather stay in bed. And keep showing up when someone's in your life is hurting. And keep showing up when you don't even know what to say, but you know that they just need you to be there. That's how you build these kind of relationships. You just show up and you show up and you keep showing up. And over time, God does something profoundly spiritual in your life and in your relationships. You don't grow if you don't show. And I, and I would just I would say this. We don't grow if you don't show. We need you. Not for some attendance record, not for any of that stuff. I need you. We need you to bring your priestly presence to bring you refreshing, renewing presence. We need you. This place doesn't grow if you actually don't show. And I know for those of you who have ever had folks show up for you in your life, you get it, don't you? And I, I, I am so blown away. I talked about this last week. So blown away by how this church has shown up for Jeannie and I the last couple months. I can't say it enough. You know, when Jeannie lost her brother Andy very suddenly and unexpectedly back in June, we were in shock, trauma, deep, instant grief and loss. And I noticed something that I already knew to be true, but I experienced it again, at just how different um, funerals are from weddings. And I know that may seem like an obvious statement. But think about it. There's actually, it's all the same people, basically, that show up for both. It's usually the same group of people. It's friends and family you've known matter to you. But the truth is about weddings, especially those of you who've been married for a long time, my hunch is you, you don't even remember who showed up for your wedding. 
In fact, some of y'all don't even remember who was in your wedding. But if you ever lost someone, or if you've ever hit a really low season, you never forget who shows up. You know this. You never forget the person that was willing to push through, the friends that were willing to push through, not knowing what to say and not knowing how to hold that space with you, but they showed up anyway. And they became a lifeline for you. They became everything David was talking about here. A taste of God's presence here on earth. And I cannot tell you how much it meant for people, for this church to show up for us. One of the dreams that we had when we, when we started this church, our prayers would be that this would be the kind of place that people would build such deep spiritual bonds with each other that they would show up and keep showing up and keep showing up and that they would have relationships that would last long beyond the time they're even a part of this church. And to be on the receiving end of that was beyond what we could have imagined. To be that loved and cared for, for you to do for us what we've longed for this church to do with each other. Listen, that's how these relationships grow. You show up, you show up, and you keep showing up. So I want to close with this thought. and It connects to your homework, and it's this. I want you to think about just this. Who can you show up for this week? Who in your life can you show up for this week? Is there anyone in your life right now that you go, and I'm a, like, maybe it's your spouse, but if you're married, come on, reach a little further than that. Like, it's great. You, you should do that normally. But who beyond that can you show up for this week? Is there a name that comes to mind? Like, oh man, I, I, I really actually love and care for this person. And maybe they're in a season where they're at a low point or they're at a season of loss or confusion or whatever it may be. And you know, like, oh man, I, I, I want to show up for them this week. And maybe not. Maybe they're in a great place, but you just love them. You want to take the relationship to another step, another level of spiritual intentionality. Who can you show up for this week? And here's how I want you to do your homework. Are you ready for this? I want you to grab your phone right now. I really mean it. I want you to grab your phone, and I don't want you to open up any other app other than what you text with, okay? So don't worry about the weather. It's going to happen whether you're here or not. It's going to just happen. You have, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about the score. Don't worry about anything. Just open up what you text with, and I want you to think about the person that we just talked about a second ago, who it is that you can actually show up for, and this is what I want you to do. This is that step of that risk, that stepping in. And I want to be really clear, because some of y'all don't have your phones out. This isn't like a metaphorical exercise. I actually want you to grab your phone, and I want you to text that one person, maybe it's two that came to mind, and all you have to ask them is this, how can I show up for you this week? Or use your own words. How can I be there for you this week? Just text, that's all you have to say. And please don't say, my pastor told me I have to text you. That's, that's just gonna, that's gonna make it weird. So just, just like, pretend like it's your idea. How can I show up for you this week? How can I be there for you this week? And sometimes it's thoughts and prayers and that's great and nice. Sometimes it may be, hey, I need you to call me. I'd love to talk. Hey, I'm feeling really low or hey, I'm really discouraged. Can we grab coffee? And I wanna encourage you to take the risk of doing just that. That's how these spiritual bonds and spiritual relationships are formed and how good and pleasant it is when we get this one right. And all that God wants to do between those relationships and all that he has in mind that he wants to flow out of those relationships has the power to change this world and to change your life. And so I want you to text that person and we're gonna pray right now and close our message and then we're gonna worship together. But here's what I want you to do. 
Uh, you can still keep texting while I'm talking. I won't be offended. I want you to stand up right now, and um, you can keep texting while you do it. I want to pray over you, and I thought it would be really fun is to close uh, this message and what we've been talking about here with a prayer that we've actually prayed for our daughter. We have uh, two prayers that we've prayed over our kids since we brought them home from the hospital. We just kind of stumbled into or God led us these prayers. So since Elijah was a baby boy and Gigi's baby girl, we've been praying these prayers. And the one that we pray for Gigi every night, we pray for when she goes to bed, is amongst other things that we're praying for the day, we close our prayer by saying this, God, I pray that you surround Gigi's life with godly friends that always point her to you. And you make her a godly friend so that she could be a light to her world. Last night, our 11, she's 11 years old. I'm sitting in her bed. We're praying that prayer together. Surround her life with godly friends that always point her back to you and make her a godly friend so she can be a light to her world. And I'd love to just pray that over you. I want to borrow Gigi's prayer and pray it over you. Can we do that right now? Let's pray together. God, I just pray that that would be true. We, we, we need this more than we know. And the good news is that you made us for this. This has been your plan all along. So help us, God. Help us to take the step, risk, courage, vulnerability, to begin to build these kind of relationships in our life. And so, God, I pray over my friends and my family, my brothers and sisters right now, that you would surround their lives with godly friends that always point them to you, always point them back to you, and that you would make them a godly friend so that they could be a light to this dark world. Jesus, only you can do it, and so we ask you to help us to do that this week, we pray in your name. Amen.